The Motor Mouths, Ditch and Bud on News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis. Oh, yeah. Another Saturday, another Motor Mouths, and uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We always do, because guess what? This next hour, we're going to talk about cars, because we love talking about cars, don't we? We do. We love talking about cars. We love driving cars, working on cars, talking about cars while we're driving cars, talking about driving cars while we're working on cars. (laughs) It's anything to do with cars. Talking about working on cars while we're driving cars. I think that covers most of it. Working on cars while we're driving them. Watching cars, because we do that too. Oh, we do uh, like doing that. Yeah, we do watch cars. Uh, and we, well, we watch people driving cars, what happens when they drive cars. So we're going to get into all of the all of the above today uh, with regards to cars. We'll start with communication with us first, our Rick's Powder Coating text line. You can always reach us at 901-683-0989 on social media. Of course, we got the motormouths.com. You can email us through the Contact Us page there. We've got the Facebook at the motormouths 989 and you can find me on Twitter at Bud Motormouth. At I am Ditch for myself on Twitter. Last week I brought up my adventures with Max. Max, the producer here at the building, has uh, been driving through this heat wave with no AC, and we dove into his air conditioning system in his 2004 Grand Cherokee. And we will tell you how that is going. The work in progress. No, <laughs> no spoiler alerts here. We're going to tell you in our next segment how that's going, and why we're telling you that is maybe you can learn something from it, and if you want to chime in on that conversation as well uh you're welcome to do so so we will get into that and uh, also we're going to answer a couple of questions that we have here but one thing we want to address right off the top here on the motor mouse we we talk a lot about electric cars at least lately one of those reasons is we had the pleasure of driving a f-150 lightning and electric cars are the new big thing in the automotive industry. Yeah, they're here to stay. They're not going anywhere. They're they're there's something to talk about. Right. Most, auto most manufacturers are committing to a all electric brand in some of their some of their brands by you know as early as 2027. We hear about Cadillac converting to all electric eventually. I mean, it is a it is a we talk about it with reason because there is a lot to talk about. I was thinking about that Cadillac thing and it kind of makes sense because GM can just kind of pick a brand and say that's our that's our electric brand. We're just going to go all electric with that brand and they're yeah. still going to continue to, you know, they they're not they're not making any statements about completely stopping internal combustion engines. And they just they can't yet because the infrastructure is the biggest thing that's holding this back. And that's something uh, we keep saying. It's it's going to be a slow transit. It's got to be a slow transition. Yeah. And and what's really what's really putting people off, as I've been saying, is this rush into it. This 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 coming from the politicians saying we need to just eliminate gas and go straight to electric as fast as possible. That's what's disruptive and and making everyone uncomfortable. And we about gotten it. to this point without the politicians. They might it might be much more well received. It is pretty well received now for especially for those who are driving electric cars now. We had a guy who drives uh, from West Memphis in a electric car and a Bolt. Yeah, and he he you know swears by it, loves it. It was Larry. But when you're when you're told you know the gas prices are the way they are, and if you don't like it, go buy an electric car. That's a big you know yeah, that, two that, birds in the air with me, I'm two middle gonna, fingers in the air. I'm for not going to blame someone for getting upset uh, uh, after that and and having a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth about yeah. electric cars. I've as I've been saying, I'd like to see a period of time where just both are available. And that's kind of where we're at right now. If you want one, you can get one. If you don't want one, you don't have to. It's not and mandatory. The what Where I'm at, I think maybe you're at the same place, Bud, is it's a wait and see. Let's wait and see how this works out. I'm not one of those who rushes the minute 
a new TV, a new cell phone, a new gadget comes out, I don't rush to get it. And it's not because I'm like, ah, let's wait and see if, let them work out the bugs. For me, it's the price. You wait a few months, six months, a year, that TV that was 600 bucks is going to be 300 I actually get that work out the bugs vibe from video game systems. You never buy the first system that comes out. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the later... Uh, versions of it, and it's kind of the same way with when a new car comes out. They they always there's there's folks that say don't buy the first, uh, the first iteration of that of that uh, model, and that's something that's actually echoed in this video we're going to talk about later. We got this video they crash tested 15 different uh, midsize and uh, compa uh, compact SUVs, and there's some interesting data that came out of that. So we'll get to that in a little bit. There's a the other thing about the electrics though right now that we're continuing to work out. Uh, is the infrastructure of them. And, you know, that's a whole other uh, sidebar discussion. We actually are going to get into some of the uh, the batteries and the building of the batteries. Uh, Ford has completed their deal. They finalized their venture with the battery factory that's going to be part of Blue Oval City. Kansas City has been awarded the largest single EV battery contract in the country, if not the world, with Panasonic. Um, they're spending... Just as much in Kansas City on this uh, Panasonic battery factory as all of Blue Oval City. I mean, this thing's going to be massive. And that industry is is a whole sidebar discussion. And we'll get into some of that, of the safety of the, of the cars and these batteries and if they catch fire. But, Bud, what you brought up last week and actually brought up a couple of times is let's hear from somebody who's had a car and driven it on electric for a while. And what are some of the... You know, you get something new and you initially you want to just focus on all the new shininess and the newness and all the gadgets that are new to you. And in the process, you start to learn, oh, OK, well, I don't really like this part of it or, or it's a little too slow response in this aspect of it. And then, then you start to really get to the to the, uh, the 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 newness wears off and you start to realize the faults that, yeah, yeah. All, that are with everything. Right. And we were talking about. What's it like to own these cars after 100,000 miles? That's that's where I start to have a lot of questions because having dealt with a lot of high-mileage vehicles and knowing the kind of issues and trials and tribulations you go through with these internal combustion engines, what are we going to see with electric cars? And, I, you know, we, we, we talked to Larry about ownership. He's had one for like two years, and he seems pretty satisfied with it. And we tried to put together, we got the question that came in. We tried to put together the info on, like, what does it actually cost? And we had some rough numbers, and I went in and dug a little deeper, and I found a really good video on YouTube it actually just came out this year. Uh, it's called "Here's What a Tesla Model 3 Is Actually Like After 100,000 Miles." So this was it. This this was answering my question. This guy bought a Model 3, which uh, the base model, like the the lowest price model. It was 48 grand when he bought it, and that was back in 2018. Mm -hmm. And that was bottom line price after his tax credit and all that stuff. So it's still fifty thousand dollar car, but it's still it's the base model, and he made he cataloged everything and of course i'll share this on the facebook at the motor mouths 989 i'll share this on my twitter at bud motormouth if you want to see this whole video i do recommend it it's very good if you're interested or considering an electric vehicle definitely watch this and he so anyway he goes through he he figures out all the different costs like he added he, he cataloged all his costs and on maintenance and tires and everything he only bought tires once in a hundred thousand miles and he said wow. uh, he said though he doesn't beat on it that hard he said he said you know with, with how fast these cars are you could easily burn through a set of tires a lot faster right but uh you know he, his insurance came out to about 125 a month that's going to be subjective 
depending on where you are where and your driving history and all that stuff. So that one's kind of set it aside. He said he spent six hundred and thirty-eight for a set of tires, which is yeah, it's about mid price. He got it. He got a decent set of tires. He didn't get cheap tires or or ruthlessly expensive tires. Six hundred and thirty-eight for a set of tires installed. That's about average, I would say. Um, he did the brake. I was asking about the brake fluid. He did do the brake fluid. They recommend it every two years on these Teslas. And he also did. Uh, he called it the caliper service. And it, I, uh, I saw some people even asking about this in the comments, and he didn't Rick respond. Yeah, he said caliper service. I don't know if he had a bad caliper, which I doubt. He said he said um, it was three hundred and ninety, which is pretty inexpensive. So that's with the brake fluid. So I'm thinking that's probably pad slapping it yeah. or something like that. But he said the pads don't wear out. He's got the regenerative brakes, so the brake pads don't wear out. I looked into this a little bit more. It is actually turning the motor into a generator. So the resistance you're getting when you let off the gas on that one pedal driving, that's a result of the motor, you know, absorbing it, basically becoming a generator and absorbing the energy and putting it back into the battery. So you really aren't putting a lot of wear and tear on your on your brakes with that regenerative braking system. He also, uh, he said he had a few minor repairs. Um, the little door that opens up for the charger broke. That cost him 311 when it was out of warranty. He had a seat sensor go bad. It wouldn't identify that someone was sitting in the seat, so it would chime at him. Like, oh, you know, like, there's nothing yeah. worse than that. So that cost him 100 bucks to get it fixed. But he said overall, after his warranty, he spent 1600 bucks on maintenance, uh, on repairs, straight up repairs. 1,600 in the first 100,000 miles. Yes. He said he drove about 25,000 kilowatt hours. Bottom line is all his charging, including superchargers, came out to about 1,900 bucks to charge this car for 100,000 miles. How long did it take him to get the 100,000 miles? Did he about say? four years. Four years. Yeah. So in four and years. And he lives in Kentucky, so he does deal with cold weather as well. In four years, he it cost him 1,900 bucks to charge it? Yes. And he did that same math for a car that averages 30 miles per gallon at $3.30 a gallon would have been $11,000. So already right there, he's saving money. And then he added up 10 oil changes. He said, if you consider your first couple of oil changes are free because, you know, with your extended, with your warranty, they'll pay for a couple of oil changes. He said, if you pay for 10 oil changes at a hundred bucks per oil change, which that's if you're getting full synthetic, uh, that's another thousand dollars. Now, let me ask you this question. Somebody may be listening there say, well, wait a minute, this is an electric car. Why does it need oil? No, I would say, I was, I'm comparing it to a gas oh, car. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Because so, I was like, okay, I'm just going to ask. I'm actually yeah. asking this for myself, but I'm acting like it's for a listener. <laughs> yeah. So he was, his, his, he was saying. Oh, actually, comparing it to an if, oil If car. he had okay. owned, an, uh, if he had driven a, a gas car for 100,000 miles, he would have spent about 1,000 on oil changes over that life. Oh, wow. And again, that's probably considering if it's got full synthetic oil. That's And that's if you take it to a shop to get it done. Because if you do it yourself and you use, you know, just standard oil, you're going to do an oil change for 35, 40 bucks. But, you know, he's comparing it. He, did, he also had maintenance come to him. Tesla has services that they'll come to you. And they'll, they'll bring a van and anything they can do in your driveway, they'll do it. So That's overall, awesome. overall, the real money I mean, saver is the gas and yeah. the oil changes. And then the tires, think, I mean, you think about all the other fluids that come with a gas car, you know, transmission fluid and got you've got the differential fluid. If your car's rear wheel drive, engine oil, transmission, brake, uh, engine coolant, coolant. Yep. Yep. That as well. Yeah. The, so. li- the list goes on. So. I mean, no doubt it's it's cost effective, but again, that's a fifty thousand dollar car. But you can easily spend that on a gas car. Talk to car. me about the power steering on electric. It's electric power steering. Yeah, it's just it's yeah, it's so got a little power steering. Fluid. It's got a little motor, so there's no there's no power steering fluid. I think it's all electric. Uh, Prius has been doing that for a long time. Yeah. So 
Uh, anyway, and I your air conditioning compressor is electric. Yes, remember that was the loudest thing on the F one fifty, which it, it makes sense. So that so there's some some more specific numbers. I know some folks were were wondering about that, and that's a little bit better description. Again, I do recommend watch the whole video. He really talks about it's twenty minutes. It's worth it. It is. It, he really talks about. Uh, electric car ownership and what you're going to be in for. So if you're at all considering it, I mean, do your research. Definitely don't just rush into something like that. Know what you're getting yourself into. The, you know, the discussion about the batteries, let's talk about this for a minute because uh, uh, the the big fear that seems to get uh, promoted is fires. When these things catch on fire, look out. You know, you can't even, you, firefighters can't put the fires out. We yeah, talked we about talk the Felicity Ace yeah. and all those Porsches that caught on fire and they just said, we can't put it out. We just got to let it, let her burn. Well, we have a story here. The electric vehicles, um, while they provide a better path to air quality, what about the concern of fires if they do catch fires? Let me just give you, based on the research that was done by a uh, insurance company, and they say that uh, the electric vehicle fires, there's about a 0.03% chance of, electric, of a battery igniting, just spontaneously uh, blowing up. Compared to internal combustion engines, they have about a 1.5% chance of that happening. And if you're in a hybrid, you're at the highest risk because you have both high-voltage battery and the internal combustion engine, and that increases your likelihood of a vehicle fire to 3.4%. That's not good. That's that isn't still pretty good. High. Even the 1.5% isn't good because think of how many, what is there, 300 million cars on the road? I don't know. There's, there's a lot, at yeah. least registered vehicles. Uh, so 1.5% of that's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I like, I'd like those odds in my car. Let's talk about the, the battery fire, though. If it does occur, electric vehicles have lithium, uh, lithium ion, lithium ion batteries, and they burn a lot hotter and they burn a lot faster and require a lot more water to uh, reach final extinguishment. Now, I imagine it's like evaporating as it hits the surface. Right. I mean, that happens when wood's on fire, so... And that's because they are so... Just to give you an idea here, Chas McGarvey, a fire chief officer in Pennsylvania, said they they were called to a Tesla Model S fire, and it was burning so hot that it melted the roadway underneath the car. Yeesh. Uh, I mean, that's bad. I mean, that's serious heat. Now, you, you hear that, and you're like, oh, my God, I don't, I don't want to melt in that fire. Well, how often do they happen? Um, that, is the, that is the question, and we just told you, the likelihood, according to the... Statistics based on this uh, insurance company is 0.03% of all of the EVs on road right now of just spontaneously combusting. The only thing different is uh, because they're lithium ion, that is what burns so hot. So It's what, not quite the same as if your gas tank goes up. Yeah. Uh, and so they have uh, decided, well, let's change what's inside these batteries and uh, what they're putting in the batteries. Now, the director of Maryland's Energy Institute says that the qualities that make that battery uh, so powerful and move passenger vehicles the way they do and ignite, lithium-ion battery cells have electrodes placed close together, which increases the chances of a short, based on what the director of Maryland's Energy Institute says. Uh, and there's also a flammable liquid in there as well. Uh, and this could be part of the reason why they burn so hot. So Tesla recently announced that it's switching from lithium uh, ion to lithium ion phosphate. It's iron, iron phosphate, right? Or iron, excuse me. Yes, iron phosphate. Other automakers, including Ford and Volkswagen, say they're going to be substituting the uh, LFPs for nickel and cobalt 
formulations. So that may be, uh, uh, you know, again, as we just kind of navigate this new frontier of electric cars, that's just one of the areas. And then, of course, lithium, uh, you have to mine the ground. Right. You have to mine Mother Nature for that. And uh, there is really that I last checked, there was one mine in this country, and that's in Nevada. Right. Uh, so otherwise, you got to go to China. And and you know, so there's a ri- there's a risk, obviously, just like kind of everything else. Every, every you know, even gas cars have a risk. You know, when people started going through the windshield, what did they do? They put seatbelts on the car. It was uh, '66, I think. Volvo yeah. was the first car. Saab was the first company to put seatbelts in the car. Then when did so, they add the shoulder to it? Right. That that came later, and so on. So then the, airbags. The, right. Yeah. So so they they're identifying an issue and. They're going to, you know, I, 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 what I don't like is people look at that and go, see, electric cars are terrible. Forget yeah. them. Why are they even doing this? It's they're, they, they're going through growing risk pains like assessment. everything. You live your life under risk assessment. You decide what is, uh, what is the risk. And most people don't even really pay attention to the risk when it's this small. They just say, well, it, it saves on gas. I will, uh, withstand a 0.03% risk that my car's going right. to catch on fire. There's probably a higher risk you're going to get hit, <laughs> which we're, which we're going to talk about later. Yeah. You know, this kind of reminds me of, there was this story about, you know, those little two-wheel, hover, they call them hoverboards, but we, we know they're not hoverboards. We've seen Back to the Future. We know what a hoverboard's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. But those little two-wheeled boards, those had big, chunky lithium-ion batteries in them. And there's this big story going across all the news networks that they're going to catch fire and your kid's going to burn down and all this stuff. And they, they were showing video of what it looks like when these things catch fire and it looks like a catastrophe and and, it's, and the, the the rate of failure on these things was so minimal. But the news was blowing oh, it out of proportion. They don't, they, they tell you, and it's one little fine line in the story, It will they'll focus on your kid, is your kid safe this Christmas on one of these um, hoverboards? And they'll show a picture of one of them burning up. But then it says in the fine print, out of two million sold, seven caught fire. Right. I mean, so, come on. And it's kind of what we're going to probably see with the with these electric car batteries. The, the 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 danger here, though, is when it happens, it's such a catastrophe because you're they're talking about it's melting the roadway. So, but again, the, it's the industry so hot, is the firefighters reacting. can't get near it. Of course, they've got those hoses that blast it. But they say, like you were saying, it just it's so hot. The, the water evaporates before it even gets actually uh, in a position to extinguish. Right. So, and again, the, the, the industry is reacting. They're doing what they got to do to address this problem, which is, you know, in, in all fairness, that's kind of more than you can say for the Ford Pinto. They knew that car exploded and they just kept putting it out. They didn't, they didn't put a rubber bladder in the, in the tank like they talked about doing. They didn't put, it was like an $11 piece of metal they could have put behind the gas tank to stop that. And they're like, nah, it's Imagine that meeting. They're like, eh, we know it. Well, it's all right. Keep going. Keep going. Just keep producing it. Anyway, I'm still, it's not enough to deter me. I'm willing to take that risk. I still, I'm still thinking about if I want to get an electric car, I'm I think the, it'd be fun. I'm in the camp of just waiting. Well, I'll still wait it out a little bit. Not, not necessarily I'm waiting for kinks to get worked out. I'm just, I'm a wait and see guy. I'm going to wait and see where it goes. And also because of the price, let the price come yeah, down. Yeah, the price is still pretty outrageous. So I don't know. I don't know if I want to spend that kind of money yet. Anyway, before we get to break, Ditch, we did get this message on the Rick's Powder Coating text line. This is from Phil. He says, I was looking at air filters and someone recommended the K&N filter. And they're about five times the cost of a regular filter. Are they any good? Are they worth it? Uh, that's from Phil. Thanks for that question. And I'll tell you, I put a K&N air filter in my my Jeep Cherokee, I've had no issues with it. I've probably put about 40,000 miles on that car. Uh, I've cleaned the filter once. The thing with the K&N filters is you have to clean them. They come. There's a, there's a cleaning solution. There's a, there's a video you can find on YouTube. Five minutes, I'll teach you how to clean them. 
So some people are way against them. Some people are all about them. It's all they'll put in their car. I'm I'm in the middle. I've put them in one of my cars, and I had no issues with it. So the point is that you clean it. it, it you get longer use out of it. You get like eighty thousand miles out of these things. Yeah. But you have to clean them yourself. There's well, there's like a cleaning solution you put them in, and it's it's really not a complicated process. And that's the higher price. But yeah, you're, you're paying the, more. But if you add up the cost of air filters, it you end up saving a little bit of money. That's one of those things that people put in and then they forget. Yeah, and then they forget that they're completely. To clean they forget it. Yeah. about it that it's even there. <laughs> so, uh, if you're willing to to pay attention and maintain the car yourself and you want to clean it yourself, go for it. I know most shops won't do it for you. They'll just try to sell you their own yeah. air filter oh, yeah. to replace yeah. it. So That's one of the first things that, that they'll do when you take in to get it oil Anywhere. changed. They'll look at it and say, oh, you need a new oil filter. This one's a little dirty. In most cases, that's true. I'm not saying they're lying. That's yeah. true because most people completely ignore the air filter. Your car's got to breathe, man. It's got to breathe. And don't neglect the cabin air filter. You breathe oh, that air. That's, <laughs> that's another one. Uh, all right. Hey, Listen, we're going to get to the air conditioning of your car. We've been working on Max's air conditioning, and uh, we're going to get a follow-up and uh, let you know where that is going. It's all coming up. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are the Motor Mouths. Have a comment? Use the Roar text line, 901-683-0989. Presented by Rick's Powder Coating on News Talk 98.9, the Roar of Memphis. Like putting premium gas in a 94 Mazda Miata. The Motor Mouths. Ditch and Bud on News Talk 98.9. Yes, we're going to talk more about cars because Man, that's what we do. We love talking about cars. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And yeah, we are the Motor Mouths. We want to follow up on a, a story that we brought last week and our adventures with Max, the producer here at the radio station. He has a 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee. I know it sounds like we all drive Jeeps because we seem to uh, find ourselves talking about Jeeps a lot, but you got Max driving a Jeep. Bud, how many Jeeps do you have? Three. Three. Jake from the nation. Jake drives a Jeep. Does he drive the Jeep? It, it's functional at this point in time. Okay. Last I heard. So Max is on the phone with us because we're going to talk about Max's air conditioning and really because we hope that you know, Max's problems may be similar to yours or issues that you've had in the past. And uh, you might be able to glean some education out of what happened to Max, the producer. Max, first of all, tell us how long you've been driving your 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee with no AC. It's been about a full year, but for, but not a year like I'm a summer year. I drove it around like fall or winter. So this is my first I'm a summer having to deal with I'm a no AC and silver chariot. And this is not a time in Memphis, Tennessee, to be driving without air conditioning. I was looking at the forecast, and it's like 100-plus for the next 10 days. And yeah. I'm starting to wonder why I moved down here. And you <laughs> see, a, I see a lot of cars, and that's not an exaggeration, driving with all their windows down. As a matter of fact, bud, last night I saw a car with no tags, not even dr fake drive-out tags, no tags on it, pulling out of a gas station, and they had... They had a tube that looked like a irrigation tube that you would use to maybe put a French drain in your backyard or something, the black irrigation tubes. They had that sticking out of the front part of a passenger window. The passenger window was up just enough to hold it in place, and I'm gathering that was get, getting receiving air. Trying to get a breeze in there. Yeah, they were Jeez. getting air from it. I thought, how dumb is this? I'm thinking to myself... Does the other end of that go through a chest full of dry ice and then it refrigerates? You know what uh, I'm saying? A swamp cooler. A swamp cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever you got to do, man. It's 
You know, I could probably put up with it without AC. I've driven cars without AC back in Chicago, and it was only maybe two or three weeks. It was really ruthless. But I think a lot of it is if you have to park in the sunlight, because then it, it there's just your car does not cool off. It's yeah, it's twenty degrees hotter than it is outside, and in you know, unless you're doing eighty on the highway, you're not changing that air out. Max, do you find yourself reducing your trips because you have no ACD? Um, uh, I kind of I kind of plan my trips strategically and everything. If there's if there's an instance where I know I'm going to get sweaty and everything, it's like, ooh, I, I just really hold off on, like, doing that at a particular time. But most of my trips are very short, short bursts, and I have all the windows down, like you said, too. So what we found out with Max's car was turn on the engine. This was the first step I said, oh, well, let me back up. First thing we did is we checked the refrigerant level, and it appeared to be based on the gauge on the refrigerant can that you buy at the auto part zone that comes with a, a gauge on top right that it's overcharged which can be a problem if that is the case because those aren't always accurate so i told max turn the thing on and let me listen to the ac compressor or the engine and how it acts when you turn the air conditioning on and when he pushed the air conditioning button nothing happened right it didn't draw anything off the engine so i'm like all right well your compressor is something's not working so then you go to the fuses You've got uh, uh, the, usually the bigger fuse box inside your engine compartment. And a way to check that, if you can't see if the fuse is blown, because some of them you can't, right. is on Max's, on the 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee, is you can switch the hood, uh, excuse me, the horn fuse with the, swap it with the fuse that is used for the compressor. They're both the same. Okay. And if it works when you honk the horn, then you know that fuse is good. So then you put that fuse in the same position as the compressor fuse. And you do the engine cycle process to hear if the compressor kicks on. We did that. Nothing. So I'm like, all right, well, the compressor's not working. I looked and uh, checked to see if it was seized, and it wasn't. So now we figure out, okay, well, we're starting to get down to it's a bad compressor for some reason. Uh, the pressure in the system is still showing on the, the gauge on the can that it's overcharged. So anyway, went to the junkyard, got a $30 compressor out of uh, uh, inline 6 2004 Grand Cherokee. Took it to the radio station out here out back, and uh, Bud, you helped us uh, get that thing out and put in the junkyard one. Put in while we decided, while we've got it all taken apart, we put in, uh, what all did we put in? So it was the accumulator, and you had a new high-pressure line, I think you said you put in there? Yeah. Yeah. A and no, low-pressure line. Low-pressure line. Yeah. And the accumulator is basically your filter, so if you're doing anything where you're opening up that system, it's just a, it's it's one of those, just do it while you're there, spend the extra, how much was that was that accumulator for you, Max? Like thirty that was bucks. Fifty bucks. Fifty, 50 bucks. 50 so bucks. Pay the yeah. fifty bucks. Put a new accumulator in it. You'll you'll be happy you did. Just it, it it's an insurance policy. Just to make sure you don't have to do this job all over again. Yeah. And so the only thing I'm concerned about, we had it evacuated. By the way, uh, all the anything that was in there was evacuated. Uh, before you know, before we did all this. But here's the thing I'm concerned about. We didn't replace the condenser. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say when you typically when you do this job, if you're going to do, the, the, we should have just done it all. Um, well, in a perfect world, yeah. Yeah. And so we've got the compressor on. We've got all the lines replaced. I pressurized it the other day. Um, got the mercury level to 30. So that's where we want it. And uh, today I'm going to check to see if it held. Because uh, once you get your pressure set, you, you, you let it sit typically for a couple hours. And then you can go back and check it. But because of the way the schedule worked, Max had to hit the road. Right. So uh, put oil in the compressor, of course. You have to make sure that typically, I'm just going to say typically, but you do need to check this. Under your hood or, or on your frame, it will tell you the kind of refrigerant that thing requires and typically the amount 
of oil, compressor oil that needs to go in there. But the average is about one ounce for every part you replace. Mm -hmm. uh, so we replaced three different parts, so we put three ounces. I looked up the compressor online, and it takes 3.4 ounces. Right. So and we yeah, got, don't mess that up. Do I, not I a, mess that up. I got a story up. about that. We'll yeah. get there. So anyway, uh, we're that's where we're at right now. Uh, we're just got to wait. We'll check to see if the pressure held up, and if it did, then that indicates there's no leak, and we'll go into the charging process. And if you have a compressor that has no charge, we also replace the switch. There's a there's a transducer switch on the high pressure line that protects the compressor in the event that it uh, there's not enough pressure, it will shut it off. Right. Max spent more money on that than anything. And how much was that, Max? That was like eighty bucks. Yeah, that yeah. switch was eighty bucks. So. If we uh, get in there and try to charge it and it, the compressor won't kick in because there's not enough pressure to charge, then you have to trick the switch in to uh, keeping the compressor running so you can charge it. Because that's part of charging it is the compressor has to pull the refrigerant out of the can. It's funny. The AC system really has a way of making you continue to spend money because you have to justify <laughs> the money you already spent. Right. You spend 30 on the compressor, you spend 50 on the accumulator, so, the whole thing is together. You, oh, and you spent money on the refrigerant to yes. recharge it. Oh, all hell of yeah. that. And if the car's not blowing cold yet, all that money is for nothing. I, so you have to spend more to... Th this is a trap. This is a trap classic car guys get sucked into all the time. Same thing uh, with my Matador. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've told Max, I said, dude, I, now it's a challenge. I will beat the AC system in yeah. Max's car. <laughs> so, uh, he said that he said that in his he said that his last will and testament and everything ensure that Max is blowing cold. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It'll be you'll have it all fixed just in time for fall. And here's the thing: it's saving <laughs> yeah. Max. How much will this save Max if it does work? So yeah, I actually reached out to a shop, and they're talking the neighborhood of a thousand to twelve hundred bucks for everything we're covering on this Jeep. So Max, right now you're into it for a couple hundred bucks, maybe hundred and fifty. Yeah, but that's like a thousand bucks that I couldn't that I didn't have to <laughs> well, spend. Well, let's let's celebrate that once you're blowing cold. Right. As of today, you're not blowing cold yet. For for more than like a day, because um, you me, got a story. Uh, about yeah, so for, so for me, more than ten minutes. Yeah, let me, let me get into this. So we got my um my 1998 Jeep Cherokee, my red one, little four cylinder, did not have working AC when I bought it. And I, I kind of went through the same thing, tried to track it down, turned out to be a bad compressor. I bought a remanufactured compressor. That was like 300 bucks. I put that thing in there. I probably did not put enough oil in it. I'm just going to say that out the gate. This was, you know, this was like eight years ago. I'm not entirely embarrassed about it anymore. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, we put this new compressor in it. I get it charged up. They ran it and said it's running just fine. So I get it home and I had the hood open and I was testing something, blew a line. It was it was running the uh, the high pressure line blew out Ooh. so there so there goes that base the, the 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 clutch was still freewheeling so I just left it alone drove it for a while well then I moved to DC I'm commuting in that car almost an hour a day in August heat I was like forget it I'm spending I was making more money so I was like forget it I'm gonna take it to the shop I spent maybe nine hundred dollars doing new accumulator. Um, Fixing that blown line and uh, what else? There was something. I think they did the condenser, but I, I can't yeah. remember. But it basically, it cost me 900 bucks, and it blew cold for about 10 minutes. And then my engine started acting up. It was running funny. The power steering was weird. Turns out the compressor seized up. So I think what happened was when that compressor was originally put on, when I when I put it on myself, I probably did not put enough of the oil that mm. you need to put in there. And yeah. that probably sent shards of metal all through the system. So if you I want to AC, in the, it all again. I, it's, I just got to do the whole thing at this point. There was a brand new accumulator in there. And then again, you know, you spend up to 1500 bucks. 
for nothing because it's not blowing cold. And now I got to spend more if I want that car to blow cold. Now, it, you, if you put too much con, uh, compressor oil, it, it won't. It it, uh, it won't affect you that way. You just won't get as cold because the compressor oil is going to take up room in the system where it should be refrigerant. Right now, if you really overdo it, then you got a problem. But right, uh, there, if, there's a point. Yeah, if you, if you put maybe a, if it's supposed to be three and a half ounces and you put four, it's not the end of the world. So, uh, Max, I think we're going to get you running cold, but we got to make sure. And the biggest thing now is the pressure test to see if it held. The pressure, and if it did, then we're good to go. If it didn't, uh, I don't know where to go from here. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do know where to go. It means you got to leak. One step at a time. Yeah, and then you're going. Yeah. Then we're gonna go. Then we're gonna have to spend sixty-five bucks on a condenser. Yeah, you, know, you should so. just put the dye in the refrigerant. Well, we, preemptively, we've done that. We, it is when I put in the uh, oil and the compressor, I also gave it a shot of dye, it, so that once we once we refrigerate it, there is going to be some dye in the system. So yeah, you're right. That's, yeah, and, that's, that's the quickest, easiest. And way. What, what I'm talking about for the listeners out there is if you are having an issue with your AC, it's just really weak. It's it's blowing, but it's just not very cold, or it's slowly gotten warmer over time uh could mean you're losing refrigerant and you know this is something i talk about there's this kind of idea that you just walk in and say oh it just needs to be charged up and then we can move on with our lives but if it needs to be charged up it's because it's probably leaking there's a so problem what it they're should gonna, not need to be charged right and what a shop is usually going to talk to you about is doing a dye test they're gonna they're gonna have to charge it back up uh, they're going to suck everything out. They're going to charge it back up and put a dye in it. You drive it for a week, maybe a couple days. Talk to the talk to the service writer. They'll they'll come up with a strategy, and then you come back, and then they put a UV light under it, and they look for that leak. And in my experience, ninety nine times out of a hundred, if if you're low on refrigerant, it's because there's a leak. We did find. Oh, by the way, I also put the new uh, the valves, well, the Schrader valves. Right. I put new ones in because in the low pressure line we saw a what appeared to be the dye from the, the old low pressure line right around the valve, and I thought, well, you know, I should probably put new Schrader valves in uh, one of the lines that we replaced. We got the line; it's new, but it's from the Jeep at the junkyard. But it looked like they had replaced it relatively because it looks brand new. So I went in and put new valve in there. So we'll. We'll see. I'm hoping that it, it, expecting, let me just put it that way. I'm expecting it's holding pressure. And we will, Max will be driving cold next week, and we'll let you know how that Looking goes. Looking forward to hearing about that. Then we can yeah. move, on to my, I'll move on to my Cherokee, maybe get that one done. This, yeah. this new Grand Cherokee I bought has cold AC, thank goodness. That's the one with the blend door issue, though, so oh, it's yeah. still not great. And we did the blend door test, too. We did all the tests that I could think of on Max's car. Does it blow cold when you're driving, or does it always blow it? Because my truck was doing that, and that was a, a condenser fan, fan issue. Yeah, that's um, that's something that can affect that, too. Don't just automatically think you need a charge just because it's not blowing cold. It could be that, you're, that there's an electric fan that sits on, on the radiator or on the condenser, for that matter, and if that thing goes bad and it's just not moving the air, you're you're going to notice. When you're, you're sitting you're at a red wonder light. Why, why, where, where's your cold air? Yeah, when you're sitting at a red light, it's blowing hot. Then when you speed up, it all of a sudden gets cold. Well, that's because that fan is, uh, the motor's dead. I've had to replace two of those. Talk about there's an electrical issue with my truck. That's probably what, that's why I've had to replace it twice. I'd be willing to bet they go bad down here more than they do up, up where I'm, I'm from yeah. in Chicago because you need them a lot more, especially in this weather. It's nasty. Max, here's to spending no more money on your uh, AC system, but you'll be blowing cold before we know it, all right? Fingers crossed. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Max. And we'll uh, we'll see you later on that pressure test, huh? So what else we got going on today? We got to talk about the crash test dummies. Yeah, so I saw this video, and I thought it was really interesting because these new 
Uh, they're not really new, but, you know, small SUVs, crossovers, they're calling them. They're really popular, and I thought this video was really good. They're taking over the roads, man. That's but all you see. It, it really like. is. Sedans just aren't as popular as they used to be. There's companies saying they're not making sedans as much anymore. And the big, monstrous V8 with a 5.9 gas guzzler, nobody wants those right yeah. now. The same thing happened in, like, the late 90s when gas prices started going up. People stopped buying big SUVs, and then once gas prices dropped again, SUVs got popular, like big SUVs, but these small four-cylinder crossovers, really popular. My HHR is technically considered a, a crossover, but I have a hard time calling yeah. that thing an SUV. It doesn't uh, look doesn't, like an SUV. It doesn't ride up very high, but it's... Not it, even a crossover, man. But it, it, You sit up straight in it, and it's got a lot of cargo space, yeah. but again, again, it's, it, I hardly could call that, but... It's like a I, cool I, station wagon. Yeah, it, 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 that, that I like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's not my first black station wagon either, yeah. but anyway, I saw this video, and I was like, we gotta talk about this. This is really cool. Now, this video came out in November of 2021, so they tested 15 of these small crossovers and you know what i'll just i'll just rattle the list off mazda cx-5 volvo xc40 audi q3 hyundai tucson toyota rav4 subaru forester nissan rogue honda crv honda hrv buick encore jeep renegade jeep compass ford escape chevy equinox and a mitsubishi eclipse cross so they they, they basically this test was all side impacts and this this video it's called crash test 15 small suvs of course i'll share it on the social media the motor mouths 989 on facebook i'll share it on bud motor at bud motormouth on twitter Twitter. So anyway, they basically this video, it's 13 minutes long. It's 12 minutes of just watching these cars get smashed. smashed. On, they're getting T-boned by, yeah. by the testing. But uh, at the end, he kind of does a recap, which I think that's, that's the part we really need to talk about. The Mazda CX-5 was our top performer in this inaugural round of newer, tougher side impact testing. The vehicle structure held up extremely well during the test. The airbags did a really good job of protecting the heads of the crash test dummies. And there was very little intrusion into the occupant compartment, meaning less likelihood of injury. The Honda HRV was one of two poor performing vehicles in this round of test. Structurally, it was the worst performer. The B-pillar actually tore away from the structure of the vehicle. The result was our barrier intruding almost halfway into the driver's seat. Nine out of the 20 vehicles that we tested in our new side crash test received an acceptable rating. Examples include the Honda CRV, the Subaru Forester, and the Audi Q3. These results reflect what IHS has seen in the past when we rolled out a new test. There are very few vehicles that receive our best rating in the initial year. The automakers then respond with improved designs, and then we start to see more and more good rated vehicles as time goes by. We know that if you're in a good rated vehicle, your chances of dying as a driver are about 70% lower than if you're in a poor rated vehicle. At the same time, about 25% of the fatalities on our roadways are still occurring in side impact collisions. We know there is room for improvement and we need to do more to protect occupants in these types of crashes. So That's it, man. Yeah, so there's something I wanna point out. He said there, the first year they get lower ratings and then they, you know, they send that information back to the auto manufacturers and they come back with improved designs. And this kind of harkens back to what we were talking about with the batteries where, you know, we're in the first 10, 15 years of these electric cars getting on the road mm -hmm. and the, the, the failure rate is already really low, but they're addressing this and they're going to come back with better designs. So I also found it really interesting that he was talking about that HRV, the B pillar, which that's the part of the unibody that's between the front door and the back door that runs from the top to the bottom, which is a very structural, important part of the car. And it got oh. just just ripped. You can see that's where, a weakness in the right. in the frame because of the car. It, the body. Because that B pillar, 
that's your like best defense against a T-bone side impact like that. And it just got ripped away. But then you, you look at the CRV, same company, it's Honda. That one performed, what was it? It was, it was an acceptable rate. Acceptable, yeah. And what I found really interesting was he was saying that if you're in an acceptable rated vehicle, your chance of dying is 70% lower than in a poor performing vehicle. So this is definitely something if you're looking at a car and you're doing your research, again, you, should, you shouldn't just buy a car without doing any research. Definitely look up its crash test rating. And if it's a poor performer, maybe look at something else. Well, and to also just expect that, oh, the government regulates these things. They, they, they've done the safety homework for me. And that's not true. Right. They, it's, it's true to a point. But you there really are minimum to, standards that have to be met. Right. But that and, doesn't mean the car is safe. Yeah, yeah. Minimum standards doesn't mean you're going to survive every yeah. every impact. So definitely do your research. I do, I do recommend this video. And again, I'll share it. It's really good. And it's it's just really interesting to see the different effects that, that these cars have on the on the driver. My dad used to, when we were in high school, I grew up in a big family. And we would get, he would give us a car for high school. But we'd all get these big-ass cars. Mm -hmm. Mercury Grand Marquis. I'm talking about the ones that uh, the trunk is big enough to put you know a small car or as you call it a family of 10 right right uh that, standard units of measurement here exactly <laughs> deltas you know uh the, these huge cars and his whole point was just that well would you rather get crunched in that thing where it's literally so big and so heavy that whoever hits you is just going to bounce off of you. Well, no, I mean, those cars, they collapsed. Remember, we had that video a while back where they slammed a modern Malibu into, uh, what was it? What was it? An old Cadillac. Yeah, a Cadillac, 59 Cadillac. Yeah. And you're done, man. That steering column's going through your face. Well, that's the and problem. Is they have no safety mechanisms yeah, no, no, internally. No crumple zones. No advanced designs to, to absorb the impact. It just gets all... <laughs> they pass the savings on to the driver you yeah. know so, so um it, it is amazing to watch those crash tests though especially the t-bone ones man yeah and they're and they're nasty and again when you're when you're in an area with a higher rate of what was it uh 44 increase in traffic accidents since 2010 in shelby county yeah I, i'm not i'm not forgetting that statistic man i'm gonna oh. keep coming back to that hey you want listen real quick i got this list that was just released this week uh, by quote wizard uh, insurance website the best and worst places to drive cars oh yeah and it is based on insurance claims Okay. Uh, ten. I'll just say real quick, the of the top ten cities of the worst place to drive, eight of the ten are in California. <laughs> uh, the other two are Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and Jacksonville, Florida. Top ten cities with the best drivers, again based on insurance claims, and also uh, DUI is also on the list as part of the metrics. Top ten cities. Anything around us, the nearest would be Little Rock, Arkansas, is number three. Uh, Oklahoma City has the lowest rate of DUIs anywhere in the country. Really? Bakersfield, California has the highest rate of DUI arrests anywhere in the country. Uh, but Detroit, Michigan is number eight on the best drivers list. Uh, Chicago is number 10 of okay. the, the, yeah, the best it. drivers. And it also goes to, it says, educated defensive drivers. Mm -hmm. And that is that doesn't mean you're, you're an a-hole driving around. That means that you're aware of what's going on around you. means you probably took... Some kind of class yeah. that that taught you how to drive. I definitely, like I said, I see a difference in in drivers here because there's no driver's ed in your in your curriculum, and and, and it shows. I, I gotta point this out every time. Accelerate out of your turns, please. This is what you're supposed to do. You, you you don't you don't let off the gas and coast through the turn. You got you keep going, and then <laughs> and, and you know what? Because butt will be on your butt if you don't. Let me let me gripe about this really quick because it happens to me every day. 
Don't take it personally when someone needs to merge in front of you. Zipper in. We're not animals. Yeah. You know, we, we, we all need to get into <laughs> that true. lane together. And if we all work together, we can do it in a nice, smooth fashion. But I see so many people. Zipper they merging. see it's your turn to, to, to zipper oh, in, no. and they got a gun it. No, nope. that's that's my spot. He you know who I am? not going to get in front of me. And yeah. yet they will race past you to get to that red I light I think I need to do. sell some bumper stickers that say, I just need to merge. Don't take it personally. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. They take that it is... like, as an affront to their personal space, man. What's... I just don't get it. What's funny about it, too, is if people would merge like that, everyone would actually move quicker. Oh, absolutely. Traffic would move so much easier, so much smoother if you'd let people merge. Yeah, we got to work together, man. We're all, yeah. we're, all, we're all just trying to get somewhere. All right. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you heard something you like, heard something you want to help us on, uh, question regarding anything, you can go to our Rick's Powder Coating text line, 683-0989 on social media. You can find us on themotormouths.com. You can shoot us an email straight from the website, or you can find me on Twitter at Bud Motormouth, and we're on Facebook at the themotormouths989. I'm Ditch. I'm Bud. And we are the Motormouths. See you next week.